Welcome to the Wonders of Thedas podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. And with us today we have... Caitlin! Hello, Caitlin! Caitlin. Welcome. Uh, Just one more quick check, Caitlin. Do you have your microphone uh, picking up your sound? Do you see a little sound wave showing up? I see the micro... Yes. Okay. And is your volume up pretty high? Um... Your recording volume? I'm turning it up right now. Sweet. All right. We'll pick up everything. Everything. And uh, so I guess welcome to the One is the Thetis podcast, where we talk about Dragon Age. Yeah. It should be fun. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Kate, we should probably talk about why Caitlin is here, because mm-hmm. it's relevant to what the uh, episode is about, because... Uh huh. We had our another poll. We just we were talking about a warrior specialization this time around, and the winner this time was the spirit warrior. Yay! And uh, Caitlin just so happens to be our resident spirit warrior expert. Yes, the, I don't uh, know about the campaign. <laughs> well, you better be at this point. I mean, you, uh, you played it for six a levels? very long time. True, that's true. It was your second specialization, but mm-hmm. you still used the heck out of it. So mm-hmm. yeah. So you got more experience using it than the rest of us here combined. True. Yep. It is true. So, we are happy to have you on. I'm and excited course, to be here. And of course, you played lots of Dragon Age, so your opinion is still invaluable. Yep. Yeah. Without Caitlin, we would never have made it to level 20. Or really, <laughs> probably past level 4. Like, yeah, let's be real. Stuff's hard. Gotta have somebody take those hits. Yeah, that was me. Absolutely <laughs> was. All right. So, we'll go straight into it. Uh, first, we'll make a quick shout-out to our friends on the D20 Radio Network. Our good friends, the Movie Defenders, have a very special episode for us all. They have a new episode about The Last Jedi, but the episode is designed as a commentary that you can watch along with the movie itself. Nice! It's like MST3K, except they are trying to bring you their thoughts about why this movie is good, and redeeming nice. qualities about it. I mean... Ooh. I mean, I mean it, I, in my I think opinion, they're, they're really not that hard to find because it was a good movie. <laughs> Apparently, they also spent a lot of time pointing out things that folks missed might or might have missed in the movie, which is cool. I would love to check that out. Yeah, definitely. It also gives it a good, ex- a good excuse to go buy The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you need an excuse. Uh, right, exactly, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, it might as well do it no <laughs> matter what. You didn't need what. a real excuse, but, you know, this is a tempting one. Um, unfortunately, we got no news this week in Thetis. Uh, but um, we can tell you that Amazon's release date for Faces of Thetis has been slowly shifting backwards a little bit. Yeah, they usually are a little bit optimistic that. to begin with. Uh, as of this guys. recording, uh, the date is listed as July 10th. We'll be keeping on it, and as you and you'll know as we know. It sounds exciting. I can't wait to be able to read it and see the fantastic artwork. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to get new artwork for all the like important characters are in there. I hope so. I hope it'll be everything that we want it to be. And more. You can get some slick new art of those uh, elven gentlemen. Like Fenris. And, <laughs> and everyone you romance? Is that what we're talking about here? Solas. Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, you uh, didn't Solas. romance Solas. I know no. this because 
solaces. Oh, solace. Anyway. I need this. No, no portraits of eggs, please. <laughs> Unless they actually do make a real legitimate, real life portrait of an egg and use that as Solace's picture. <laughs> because then I will be the happiest person. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, until we've got egg portraits in our uh, role-playing game rule books, let's talk about those rules as we consult the Codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got lots to cover this time, so we're going to jump straight in. Uh, from Mike, uh, labeled as M. Garrett through our email. Mike asks, I wanted advice regarding the best way to use Animate Dead. With a one-minute casting time, is it more appropriate for the longer battles, or is there another option to consider? I want players to use their zombies as an ally for as much time as they can. Your thoughts. Thanks for taking the time. Well, I actually am not as up on Animate Dead as I probably should be. Let's see. I've actually got the rule book up here. Why don't we take a look? Yes. Because how long do the dead last? That's what uh, I wanted to know. They last quite a while. Minutes up equal to your magic ability. It takes a minute to cast it, mm. which is four rounds. And then they last for four rounds per magic ability rating. That's so, not bad, but that's still problematic because you still need to cast it effectively outside of combat if you want. It's mm-hmm. like it's like a rock armor. Boy, do you not want to be casting this in combat. Yes. It's, it's rough. Um, but it does let you summon an entire extra friend to help you out. So that's, you know, that helps. Especially if, if your GM is going to be kind and giving you unique stats for maybe, like, raising that ogre as a skeleton. Yeah, well, and I can see if you were interested specifically in uh, trying to allow players to use their zombies for as long as they can, mm-hmm. then as a GM, it might be a good idea to try to set them up where in situations where they know that combat is coming within a mm-hmm. certain amount of time. Maybe they've got waves to fight or something. Yeah, maybe they like they know that they've got a certain amount of time before the combat's going to hit, and then they can cast the spell, because the obvious downside that Animate Dead does, has that Rock Armor doesn't is that Rock Armor lasts for hours. Animate Dead absolutely does not. Mm-hmm. It's rough. So you're, you're going to need to do this within good time. Indeed. So I, I can see where your concerns are coming from. You could... If your PCs are lucky enough to have the advanced spell stunts, if you are giving them the talent, uh, then there is the lasting spell stunt that they could get. But that does require them to roll stunt points on the casting roll. And then even can... then it still only gives them... The problem with things that are minutes per whatever, mm-hmm. in pretty much any game in my opinion, mm-hmm. is that more often than not, unless you're a very high-level character or running through, like, a dungeon or something, mm-hmm. it might as well have been rounds per level or rounds per communication or rounds per magic or whatever mm-hmm. because you're not... You know, it's only going to be... It, it's long enough to last you for one encounter yeah. and often not long enough for two, which is... Mm-hmm. Which limits the usefulness of the ability. It does. So, now, one thing I could see mm-hmm. being an interesting trade-off is to have, for Animate Dead, if you wanted to make a house rule, make it like the one the uh, the one where you summon an animal, mm-hmm. and so just okay. switch out the duration and the casting time. 
Okay. You, it takes you a full hour to do it, but you get to have the creature with you for the for a full day. Until the next sunset, right? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, until the next sunset. So That's that way you would be able to, you know, summon large undead armies and have them last long enough that mm-hmm. you might actually get to use them. Right. And it would, but it would take you some work to do it. That would probably be your only job that day, would be summoning mm-hmm. various and sundry undead. It is hard to summon armies of the undead. Yeah, that probably take for full armies, you probably need something special. But need several necromancers casting spells. Yeah, but you might consider that for a, uh, mm-hmm. for a house rule, if you want to get the best bang for your buck out of the animated dead. I could see increasing the mana cost to decrease the casting time, or increasing the target number, or maybe a little of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. To maybe make it 18 mana to, to have a two-round casting time, or maybe, like, 22 mana for it to be a one-round casting? Uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, that that could be. You'd want to test it out and make sure you balanced it mm-hmm. well before you try it. Right. Of course, that could also just be part of the fun, is you guys find a really big corpse that you want to raise as a friend, and your friends have to defend you while you're casting the spell. That would be pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could make a little mini-encounter in itself. So definitely something worth keeping in mind. Let's see. Um, I hope that answers your question with our, let's see, with our jumbled thoughts. Yeah. If you uh, decide on trying out either of these plans that we sort of came up with, let us know mm-hmm. how they go. Sure. Alright, next question comes from Drunkle Grog through our email. The other day, I learned a new disadvantage of being a dwarf with low decks, besides everyone always hitting you. When someone <laughs> flees you in battle, it is hard to catch up. This leads <laughs> to the question, what are some good combinations of ranged and melee weapons? What are your favorites? Would you consider playing without any ranged option? Oh, this just makes me think of Callian. <laughs> this in was the, specifically in how used. she won the Autumn Falls tournament. It's true. By just like run in, hit, run out. They still can't catch you because you're too fast. Mm-hmm. I could see this being very frustrating if you were the player and having this happen to you. So, getting a hold of some ranged weapons certainly couldn't hurt. Uh, especially for a dwarf character. I mean, if you've got a low dex, you've also got a low to hit with the ranged weapons. So your mileage may end up varying after that one as well. That is that is going to be a problem because your dex is going to be a huge part of whether or not you can even use a bow mm-hmm. right. effectively. Um, you might look into things like throwing axes if you're a melee type because you still use strength to hit with it. Uh, and you'll still use strength for damage. Throwing axes run you uh, about eight yards at long range. Uh, if you go knives, throwing knives uh, can go 12 yards, and throwing spears can get 16 yards uh, at the long range. So you'll still be taking a minus two to hit with those, but those, are, I believe, are all still uh, strength to hit. Yep. Right, plus... Uh, and strength to damage. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus if, you get, if you take the quick reflexes talent, you yeah. can switch out your throwing axe or bow for your... Your melee weapon with just a minor action, so that way when it's you do it's a free action. The first round, free, time you do it, yeah, yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, so when you eventually catch up, then you <laughs> could just do that. And for yeah. me, 
It's always been good to have, even though I've been mostly a melee fighter with my Dragon Age character, it's always good to have a ranged weapon just in case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You That's made some use of that bow. I did. I the did. longest range weapon you're going to find is a crossbow, which is 60 yards at the long range. So, uh, but of course, that's dexterity based. If you're still low dex, then it's and it's be a rough. major action to reload. So, yeah, if that's you must, stuff. I think if you must go dexterity, maybe consider a longbow, just mm-hmm. because it's almost as long, and at least you can load it reasonably quickly. Mm-hmm. Sure, does a little less damage, but yeah, I, we assume you can work with that. Yeah. And uh, take a look at those throwing weapons, because those may those may be your best option. And especially if you're just trying to catch up to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Unless if you've got a huge, up. huge map. In which case, just wait for them. And or rely on your party, you know, rely on your teammates. They, mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's, that's one of their strengths that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Or they can knock them prone or, and make them move slower. Or you could use a threaten and make them come to you. That's true. I That's also true. That's did love point. giving people the knockdown. Mm-hmm. The knockdown is a great spell. It's a good point. The knockdown. The knockdown. <laughs> Still bitter. Only a little bit. All right. Well, thank you, Drunkle Gog. Hope that answers your question. And uh, maybe uh, throws out a couple of suggestions. Uh, the next question comes from Ruben Colpert through our Facebook page. And uh, this one's a little bit long. We are going to go through it nice and quick because it does have a bit of context. Um, As a game master, I like to keep the target number of a certain test to myself. By doing this, uh, the player is not necessarily certain if the test is a success, but if the character can and perhaps should act towards the given result. For example, a PC is trying to figure out if a character is lying. I would call for an opposed perception, empathy versus communication deception test. The result could be something like, you have the feeling the character is not telling the entire truth. If the test was a success, this would be a correct statement, while if it was fa- uh, f- well, it was a fail, the character was not actually lying. In both cases, the way of phrasing would be similar. Uh, at this moment, I still ha- I have a question just right off the bat. Yeah. Why would the player bother to make the roll if they knew you were going to say the same thing no matter what? That's like, a fair question to ask. What's the point of making the roll if there's not going to be any possibility of gaining the information? Like, that's true. That would that would be confusing for me as a, car- as a player, but... That's fair. Let's continue. Uh, even when the test succeeds, the result of the dragon die might influence the result. In the previous example, a lower dragon die result might result in something like, you feel as if the character is lying but you are not certain, opposed to, the character is clearly lying about such and such, with a higher dragon die. Again, similar phrasing would still be used when the test fail, but those statements will be false. The advantage of this approach is that the result is less black and white, and therefore it prevents the players to only act on tests that they know succeeded. It is crucial that the players know about this approach, however, to prevent disappointment because they might feel misled. In our party, this has not been an issue. What do you think of this approach? Do you see any ways on how to implement stunt points without losing the advantage of this approach? Since these can only be used when the test was a success, the result cannot be kept secret anymore, which is obviously a problem. Um, pretty much just to answer that last bit, mm-hmm. I really do not see a way to implement stunt points and this particular approach. Mm-hmm. Because you need to know if the test succeeded mm-hmm. in order to use stunt points, which makes it inherently a struggle to use this sort of approach with this game. Right. Um, I could see an option where the players could, after making the test, um, 
have some stunt point, have some stunts that they would prefer to use if the test was a success and rolled stunt points, then they could like put those out in front as uh, suggestions for how it would go if things went very well. But because they don't know the, whether the test was a success or not, uh, they still have to wait until you tell them, yes, it succeeded, no, it didn't succeed, before they well, know and, that the stunt points can even be spent. Well, and even then, the goal of this point, the goal of this style is to not tell them if they've succeeded or not. Mm -hmm. So they'll never know if they're even using stunts, which takes much of the gratification away from having stunts to use. It does. Right. I think the goal of this is to keep the players from metagaming, I, is my guess. I think like i'm sure that that's a like i've seen that be a concern mm -hmm. in at many tables but i worry that this uh like it is good that your players know about this approach and that they're cool with it because mm -hmm. i can see that being a big problem if you were with a party that didn't know about it the issue that i would have with it is that the gm is supposed to be you are every sense that the players can use to interact with the world you are their sight their hearing their hands their you know their feet mm -hmm. every way that they can interact with the world they interact through you and if by making you know making tests is the primary way that they do that and if by interacting with you they gain no meaningful information one way or the other then that can be like especially if are they even making the roles you could i mean you're making the roles in secret so what are like what do the players get to do mm. that's a good as a good right. observation. That is a fair question. I'm oh, not you're sure keeping the target number to yourself. Keeping the target number to himself. Okay. Okay, that's that's a bit more like as a wait a minute. That that doesn't sound like a thing. Okay. But so the players do get to see the die roll. Yeah. So right. the players can see the die roll. And they that can see probably helps. It might have generated stun points. Yes. So okay. that at least would be good. And then you could. That is a bit more feasible because then if they can see that they create that they got stunt points, mm -hmm. they could be like, if this succeeded then I would use stunt points to do this and this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that I could see being more more reasonable if you're just hiding the target number from them. Like, yeah. That's, I think that's a lot right. of times that's, we hide target numbers from people. That's how it usually to. goes. Yeah. I and, usually only tell target numbers when I want to expedite things. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you got to hit this number. Who got it? All right, you got it. Let's go. Although, honestly, for things like perception empathy, mm -hmm. you could... I've seen GMs do this before, and you know it works for certain tables. Mm -hmm. You can ask everybody ahead of time, "Hey, what's your perception empathy?" and then roll it for them behind the table to see if they mm -hmm. notice that something is up. Mm -hmm. Or you know, especially for things where the player might change the way they interact with the world if they know that they're making the test. Like mm -hmm. you know, anytime someone tells you to make a sense motive or perception empathy, everybody just starts looking at each other uh -huh. like. So I can understand it. It can be hard to not metagame in that situation. So I can understand how a GM might want to curtail that. Maybe throw out a couple of dummy tests. Oh yeah, or just roll a bunch of dice behind. Just the roll end. a bunch of dice behind the G behind the GM screen if you've got one. Sometimes uh, I even do that when I'm running like silly goblin games. Yeah, like, just roll something. Just to mess with people. Pretend to take note of it. Keep bit. the players on the toes. Keeps mm -hmm. the players guessing, but doesn't necessarily hide any information from them, because maybe there's nothing to hide at all. Yeah. And it is really good, I think, that you have talked this out with your players yes. and that they're all aware of it, because when you've when you've got your players knowing about this and in on it, then it becomes more of a let's try to keep our storytelling as straight as possible, mm -hmm. 
and less of an I don't trust my party, I'm going to control how they interact with the world in this way because I don't trust their reactions. This is yes. this is not that, and I really appreciate that. That's a very good thing. So, as to what we think of this approach, I hope that we've answered the question. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. We like it. Uh, we can see where it might go wrong with this system, mm-hmm. but we think if you guys are... I don't know if it would work with our groups. No. Well, that's not even the concern, though. I just but, As long as it works with your group correct. and you're able to use some of the strategies we've talked about to like mm-hmm. try to get your stunt dice in there, I don't see a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as so, you're open with your players about it, and as long as you all continue to communicate openly like, and be sure that they are okay with this system, mm-hmm. then you should be fine. On good yeah. graces. That, that's with them. There should, uh, really the big deal. Especially with the stunt points thing, there should definitely be some grati- like gratification or some uh, indication in character as much as you can that the stunts that they selected did work. Uh, if you've got that's, so, if you've got you know the test going and you can, they can see the, the the dice and they can see how many stunt points they generated, then they can you know decide, you know I've got this many stunt points. If I succeeded. If I do, this is what I do. And they can still roleplay it out uh, and then see afterwards whether or not it worked in the first place. Yeah. On some, I think on some level, eventually, with most roles, you will have to let them know if they've failed or succeeded mm-hmm. simply because they need to know if, you know, it's like, did did I get, to, did I slap the person effectively? Mm-hmm. Like, if they don't get attacked or if I don't, you know, if their taunt doesn't immediately work, mm-hmm. they're going to know that they've failed. Yes. Or if they you have to make a new test and they don't suddenly have the focus that they were going to get with resources at hand, mm-hmm. then it's clear that they've failed. Like, yes. eventually, with this particular system, success and failure are going to come to light. Mm-hmm. Not eventually. Every time, but. Eventually. So, uh, thank you, Ruben. We appreciate the question. Thank you very much. All thank right. You. Next question comes from our good friend, Parcival, on the Green Running Forums. What's up, dude? Uh... Your Percival's question was, uh, with regards to the next podcast, which I know will be on the Spirit Warrior specialization, I pose the following question. The specialization seems to fit only Fenris from Dragon Age 2. We'll talk about that a little bit later. You've previously uh, mentioned the idea that it could also work for Avar Warriors, and I agree that it fits with what we know of them. Would you adapt it, though, if slightly, to better fit their culture? I note that Amund, the Skywatcher, has an ability much like Spirit Pulse, but but called Lady's Wrath, that deals lightning damage into the Spirit. An easy switch. And mm. if I was running the game, I don't think I would adjust it. I think that Spirit Warrior works exactly how it should, and it's and it's kind of I, I think you could adjust enough. it though. You think so? It, I mean, I'm not sure how you would. I, we've got some excellent. Uh, we've got some people, you know, some fans of the show and <laughs> some listeners that have created some really exceptional content that manages to bring out the flavor of different. Uh, mm-hmm different um, backgrounds and different sort of character concepts even more. And we did mention in our Avar episode that we thought we might want to adjust Spirit Healer and Spirit Warrior in order to make them more Avar appropriate. Hmm. If I recall correctly. I don't recall that, but I I don't recall a lot of things. (laughs) I believe we did. I would not be surprised. uh, I know we made a specialization and a background for them. Yeah. Well, we certainly did that too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I am losing my mind. But I think that it would be cool 
to adapt it in some way to better fit the culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how to do that. I like your idea already, the one that does damage, mm-hmm. the late the Lady's Wrath sort of because thing. Because it already does penetrating damage, you could just say that it's lightning damage. It'd be a pretty easy thing to, to work with. It kind of looks like it anyway. It's just a burst oh. of fate energy. Although if you want it to be like, uh, uh, what's it, um... To uh, thematically be like lightning striking the ground, then I think that I might think require he was a bit saying more. that it does lightning damage instead of spirit, and that we would okay. switch it to doing spirit gotcha. damage. Yeah. Uh, either way, that's that's a very easy yeah, way that's to. Yeah, that's an easy. That's an easy switch. Well, if you wanted to do it, Parsival, <laughs> we would certainly put it on our resources mm-hmm. for your game website. If, if we wanted to adjust it. Mm, because spirit warrior, as it works, which we'll definitely get into later, is a bit more of a like a demon hunter mm-hmm. kind of deal. Um, it would, I think, the way it works now is good because they'd use it to like go after dangerous spirits or people who become abominations. Uh, spirit healers and, and seers already kind of commune with spirits plenty, so they could like. Communicate with the spirits and get what they and get and share the information that they that both parties need. So I think that for the role that Spirit Warrior tries to fulfill as a as a mechanic also works very well for the world. So I personally I wouldn't change it much. Uh, I might change some of the flavors if we see if we want to. Um, but based on its function if we because they're very big on like communing with the spirits they already you know spirit warriors already do that and but if you wanted to focus more on communication with the spirits then mages kind of already do that or at least that's my two coffers I mean I think that it I, I think anything can be changed to be a bit more specific to match mm-hmm. what you're doing so I mean I think it works well I, I'm sure it would be fine the way it is. I mm-hmm. think you could probably also make it cooler if you really wanted to just because we've got some pretty we got some pretty creative people in we here. We do. So. It's true. Mm-hmm. I should have seen Paulo Furta today. I was talking to him on the... Let's see, and I will actually be talking about one of his creations that he shared with me a while ago and I forgot to put on the show and then he just dumped a whole bunch of them on top of me today. It was awesome. Nice. Just pastes a huge wall of text and like, wow, man. How much stuff have you got going? He's like, my draft page, my drafts thing is a hundred pages long. <laughs> what? That's amazing. Ren, Ren did the mind blown thing. You guys yeah. couldn't see it, but there you go. Imagine it. Well, hopefully that answers your question. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that answers the question. Mm-hmm. Thank you, as, as always, always. Parsifal. Uh, and three questions, rapid fire, from Mark Naturis through our Facebook. Another question on Reavers. The novice ability gives you health equal to the damage suffered or enemy constitution ability, whichever is less. I re-listened to the episode on Reavers real quick. So if your enemy has a con score of negative two, you lose two more health. If they have (laughs) zero, you gain no health. I mean, I guess if that's how the ability is worded, then rules as written, you would lose health. You would probably lose health. My guess is that you simply don't gain anything. Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair to assume. If you've got if they've got zero constitution, then you just you don't gain any health. Yeah, I mean, or I could even see making it at least one damage mm-hmm. because they do have life to lose. It's they're true. just they're just frail. Mm-hmm. So I guess that'll probably be more of a GM call if they want to make it minimum of one, or if they want to actually make it you know if they've got a con of zero or less, then you get nothing. 
I really hope that they don't do the whole thing where you lose health for using your own <laughs> That's mean. character. That's ability. mean. That'd be rough. Mm-hmm. Alright, next one. Next one. The wording of the novice level of Reaver is that they use singular descriptors for your enemy, making it seem like you can only use it against that one foe. It doesn't say you have to designate a single foe, but it might infer that. Does this mean you can't combine this with the journeyman level to gain life from multiple foes at once? Uh, I took I don't a look at it. I remember what it says. And I think that it would work just fine. Let's see, here it is. Assuming that it would be all the targets that you could hit. As it says, once per encounter, make a minor action to activate the ability for a number of consecutive turns equal to your willpower. You gain health equal to the amount of damage the target suffers on a successful attack, or your opponent's constitution ability rating, whichever is less. That sounds like it is d intended for one person, at least at that point. Mm -hmm. I would probably be okay with ruling that if you roll a lightning attack or a dual strike and you hit multiple foe, if you hit multiple foes or hit a foe multiple times, then you would gain the appropriate amount of health for each hit. You're hitting more people. That's what you want to do as um, a reaver. That said, though, would you allow the the damage, the penetrating damage that they do with the aura, to affect? That would not work with the novice degree because it says you have to make a successful attack. Ah, yes. And the novice degree is just, it happens. You take damage and so does everybody else. Yep. So, yeah, you would technically not be able to combine it with the journeyman ability to gain life from multiple mm -hmm. foes at once. But if you dual strike a couple folks, then you can gain health from him. That's true. All right. Next question. If you go on a killing spree with the master degree, do you get health for each foe you hit or just one? I'd, I'd say for every hit that you do, you get more health back as long as you got that ability activated. Although, it looks like... Um, I think it looks like you could, it's a maximum of two. Right. Because once you kill your foe, you can make another attack as a free action, and then you can kill... If you kill them, you still don't get another free attack removed. So, once mm. you've downed two people, you're pretty much done. Yeah. So yeah, I would say it would work with both, although it'd be yeah. hard to call that a killing spree, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you rolled stunts on the next one, you could get some lightning attacks and dual strikes. You know, if that's how it goes, that's how it goes. Yeah. So thank you, Mark. Always appreciate it. We got plenty more of your questions to get through, and we're very appreciative. All right, and thank you, everybody else. If you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else, send a message to wondersofthetispodcast at gmail.com. You can send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Kot the Protector or Healer Buff on the Green Running forums, or send a message to Kot or Lease on the D20 radio forums. That's us. That's us. And there's Caitlin. Caitlin is also here, but she will be harder to contact. Yes. Because if you want to talk to Caitlin, you can let us know what you want to tell her, and we'll tell her. Yes, if you have any questions for me about playing a warrior, or anything mm. in the tank class, or just general yeah, she's questions. Been, she's been playing the, the tanky type for mm -hmm. a while now. Like it's She true. and I have been friends for a very long time. Almost only ten years. It is, it is about ten years now. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, we've been friends for like a decade, and uh, she's been playing. She has been playing uh, the tanky type since we've like since I've known her. So she's I a know. great source for that. I'll tell you right now. I appreciate it. You can't tell by blushing. Right <laughs> mm. That might be the wine, but it's also from the compliment. 
<laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, uh, once again, thankfully, it is time for us to open our books to the Dissonant Verses. Do you ever wonder what lies at the edges of the map, past the seas? No. I think we have enough to worry about on this continent. Uh, of course, but... <sighs> Welcome to the Dissonant Verses. As I've already mentioned, we've got a submission from Paulo Fruta through our Facebook page. And uh, I apologize, Paulo, you sent this to me a little while ago. I did not get it on the last episode, so it is here now in all of its glory. Ritual magic. Ooh. Fancy. So, um... This is something that they've done in a couple other games, and I, I think this is a, a fairly solid idea for Dragon Age. Uh, since the number of spells a character can master in Dragon Age is fairly small in Paulo's games, he turned several utilitarian spells into rituals and also created specific rituals to emulate parts of the game where mages do things beyond spending mana to create a limited effect. Rituals go beyond the effects of spells and can be hard to learn, but create truly miraculous effects. The, six, uh, the secrets detailed in the fabled Flemeth's Grimoire are said to unlock even the secret to eternal life. Speaking of grimoires, they're very important to the Ritualist Mage. A Mage's grimoire is a mix of recipe book, diary, and spell registry. Mages usually guard their grimoires jealously. Uh, some GMs may want to limit access to rituals to, ma to rituals to mages with specific talents. If so, to learn a ritual, the mage needs ranks and the ritual magic talent. Uh, Paulo says he does not use that option in his games. Not a bad idea to have it, though. Yeah, mm -hmm. not a bad in idea. In case people want it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to get into. You have to be a mage and have the cunning arcane lore focus. That's it. That's not bad. And then you can start picking up novice, uh, and so you pick up, uh, uh, goodness, rituals with uh, specific target number maximums. And then uh, performing a ritual is a simple advanced test that is determined by the GM, uh, equal to the base spell's target number and the success threshold and the spell's mana cost. Uh, the mage doesn't pay any mana to perform the ritual, but needs materials to empower it, especially lyrium. Uh, each check takes about 15 seconds which is, of course, one round. Uh, mm -hmm. And they usually use special materials, which you'll pay in uh, silvers or pay in blood. Yep. Got that blood magic. Blood magic rituals. Here Woo! it is. Maybe not the best choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, Dalen learns the spell Spring as a ritual. The Cunning Arcane Lore check has a target number of 13, and the success threshold is only 4. The ritual usually costs the equivalent of 40 silvers and materials and lyrium to be performed. If he wishes to cast the ritual using blood magic, he'll need to sacrifice at least 20 health, be it his health or from others. If you kill somebody, they actually uh, end up contributing uh, twice their full health as oh. part of the ritual, as part of the material components. Dang. Dagio. Some dark stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're a jerk, if you're this a is jerk. even better. Uh-huh. If you're a Tevinter jerk, this this is pretty this is pretty simple. Is Tevinter you know, jerk the cost of like a background name? option? You I know <laughs> you're being sarcastic. It is very sarcastic. I do not <laughs> I do not support any of these things. And any of these things <laughs> are awful. But this rule system is pretty cool. It if is. You can you, I just I I'm not for blood magic. 
Same. This is this is fantastic, though. Thank you so much for sending yes. this to us. Thank you so much. Uh, you can, of course, find this and all of our other submissions archived on our resources for your game page on our blog, onesathetispodcast.wordpress.com. If you'd like to share yours or someone's custom Dragon Age RPG content, send a message to onesathetispodcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts. Or send a personal message to Kot the Protector or HealerPuff on the Green Running forums. Or send a message to Kot or Lise on the D20 radio forums. Still that's, us. That's, that's still us. All, all right. right. Well, uh, we've had quite a bit to talk about now, but I think now it's time to get into the spirit. Into the of spirit the main of the topic. Now, we did this joke back when we did the spirit healer. Hey, you know what? I do what I want. Mm-hmm. I do what I want. That's what. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, mm-hmm. you want to ring it in? What? <laughs> Make a spirit joke. Yes. <laughs> She doesn't have the spirit for it. Oh, Jessica's taking them all. It's just the same one over and over again. Yeah, well, anyway, this is the main topic for today. Yep. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. Welcome to the main topic. So you're a spirit warrior. You can turn to page 73 of the core rulebook to see the specialization for yourself, but we're going to talk all about it today. Woo. So, uh, first big question, of course, is what is a spirit warrior? Caitlin, what do you think a spirit warrior is? Well, for me, uh, it is somebody who's not a mage, mm-hmm. like Alora is, slash was, and... They are gifted with magical abilities and powers, even though they were not, they don't have any uh, natural or innate magical abilities. But they're mainly warriors who, through trial or a quest, find this out about themselves and will then become, as we said earlier, demon hunters. We get bonuses to selling all sorts of things from the Fade. Fun stuff. Nice. They are very rare in Dragon Age, non-mages with magical powers. Warriors have a few specs like these already. Templars and Reavers also get somewhat supernatural abilities. But neither are quite like the Spirit Warrior. Spirit Warriors are the tougher, more heavily armored equivalents of Spirit Healers. They are warriors who reach out through the veil and seek the assistance of benevolent spirits, or less than benevolent, depending on the warrior, to gain special powers while providing the spirit a way to see the world through their eyes. Spirit warriors call on the spirits to shield them in combat, grant power to their attacks when fighting demons, and even cause bursts of burning fade energy to explode from them when in dangerous situations. Yes, the way I justified Laura's spirit warrior specialization is through a fear... Through various sessions, she found out she was a descendant from the Emerald Knights and found a talking sword who told her about the grave of her ancestor and another sword, this one called Evanora. This one gave Alora the ability to do elemental damage with it, and so it felt to me that Spirit Warrior was the was a great fit for her second specialization because she was already mm-hmm. a guardian so I thought spirit warrior would help her give her an edge 
against enemies and give her better insight into magic being like besides like Ooh, Asha's waving around a staff and she makes people fall down. <laughs> I did make people fall down a lot. And then you suddenly knew why I was doing that. Yes. I mean, besides the fact that they needed to fall down. Yes. So Spirit Warrior's abilities make them uniquely suited to hunting demons and other supernatural threats, which can be good when fighting in the Fade. Very true. Which or we fighting literally anything involving the Fade. That's ever. true. Yeah. And while you are not a full mage, most people in Thetis are not going to care. <laughs> when they see you cloaked in spirit magic, they will run just as fast as if they had seen an abomination. And, and technically they have. Right. Right. Yeah. You, technically you are an abomination, my friend. You've got a spirit inside you. Hey, and it's that's... not all bad. No. <laughs> just like them spirit healers, you're a little wiggy. Hey. Hey. It's cool. Not all abominations. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us. Are pretty neat. Mage rights. Mage rights. Uh, Templars are likely going to treat you as apostates, uh, just as likely they wish to remove you from the public eye, uh, as this spec does carry with it the implication that magic is more accessible to non-mages than originally known. Yeah, I don't want you to think that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the Templars can't have everyone thinking they, become a, they can become a mage. More educated Templars may even realize that becoming a spirit warrior requires certain aptitudes that, must, that most people don't have. So having weaker people try to become spirit warriors could mean more outbreaks of demonic possession. Hence, your talents are considered dangerous. Templars, <laughs> Templars are always interesting to work around. Yeah, Templars are fun, especially when you're A, a spirit warrior, and B, you're not human. So that's always yeah. a fun juxtaposition. Yeah. That's, for for uh, a very long time, our entire party was made of female elves and a female Kunari, and two of those elves were regularly shrouded in spirit stuff. So it was... We were not the favorites of the Templars? It's true. No. But, I mean, while I did... Like, when you are a spirit warrior, you have these powers... One of them is called Fade Burst, which went Ren will explain later. I did not mm -hmm. use it as much as I probably should have, but I was happy just uh, doing extra damage to the demons. And so whenever we were fighting something that wasn't quite, like, humanoid, I always made sure to ask Ren if they were demons or not. That way I could get those bonuses. And if they weren't demons, I still did damage. So, mm -hmm. either way... You still hit them like a truck. Say so either way, yeah. you knocked them into next week. Right. So, uh, it is worth knowing that even though the specialization feels very magical, dwarves can take the spec. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. They could take it in the video games, and they can take it now. Uh, that seems like it doesn't make sense, but I'll, I mean, if they let them, that's cool. Uh, it's not becoming a full-fledged mage, but it does have some powers that dwarves may find strange and foreign. Feel free to play up the strangeness for warriors who have known nothing of magic, dreams, or even spirits for their whole lives, only to find spirits speaking to them from across the veil and augmenting their abilities. It's kind of freaky sometimes. It's, mm -hmm. like, it's like, why is this sword talking to me? <sighs> Am I a ghost? <laughs> Am I dead? I don't know. <laughs> um, next question, uh, big question, is who in Dragon Age has this spec? Who can we look to for inspiration? The iconic spirit warrior, of course, is Justice, a companion from Dragon Age Origins expansion, Awakening. Well, I mean, yes, and also a bit more spirit warrior than most spirit warriors. It's true, up. because That's he true. is a warrior who is also just a spirit. He's, 
he's a corpse puppet. He's definitely a, 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 a spirit of justice possessing a corpse. But you know, he that was his. So that was his specialization. To each their own. To each that he could teach other warriors in the party how to do spirit warrior stuff. So it was clearly Here's something how he you could make share. a corpse dance. <laughs> Here's how you make a corpse explode. Oh, oh. Uh, so he is the perfect definition of spirit warrior. Uh, perhaps even more so than most regular spirit warriors. That is true. Uh, to a lesser degree, another example would be Fenris. And this comes with some caveats. Fenris has a, has a specialization that's called the Tevinter Fugitive uh, that has many similar abilities, including a mode that increases his defenses and offenses and a burst of spirit energy. His is specialized because of the delirium tattoos he was given by Daenerys, so this should be, should be considered a variant of the spec as opposed to just spirit warrior. Although I'm sure that one would be easy to write, in, to write into if necessary if you wanted to play someone else who was a victim of that kind of delirium mm -hmm. use. Yeah. So, how do you unlock this spec? And got rough news for you, because this is a hard one for mm -hmm. warriors to get. Mm -hmm. You need a magic and a willpower of three. Or, or <laughs> ask your GM very nicely to help you get the required magic of three, which is what happened in our campaign. We did. I was, <clears throat> had to fudge some a, numbers It was a, a bit, bit sudden when Spirit Warrior came along, so we... We fudged some numbers. It was obviously right for the character, and right. it didn't break the game for you to suddenly have a lot of magic. And I mean, you'd been spending a lot of time with a with a lyrium addict and a mage, so it made sense for us. But always be sure to talk with your GM about what you want to, where you want your character to go. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And if you and since you all have the benefit of having these things available to you as possibilities at character creation, you can know what to plan for. Yes. Mm -hmm. We started with boxes. Like we didn't it's have true. Oh, we started when Dragon Age was still in boxes. Um, so because you are a warrior, magic and willpower are both secondary abilities for you, which can be very tricky if you're planning on doing this spec at level six, because once you start character creation, you've only got two levels where your secondary abilities go up. Which means by level six, you better have already had a willpower and a magic of two. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're not getting in. You're gonna have to wait until wait it until level fourteen. So, if it's going to be your first spec, you need to prep for it very early. And to give you a hand, the following backgrounds that allow for the warrior class include a bonus to either magic or willpower. Uh, the Dalish Elf, the escaped Elven slave, is actually not surprisingly. Fenris's background, and also a great background for spirit warriors, because it gives you potential for both. You could get that boost to magic and yeah. willpower. Bonus to magic and willpower are both on their table for you to roll. Nice. So, there's that. Uh, the Ferelden Freeman, the Highborn Dwarf, the Navarran Adventurer, the Orlesian Commoner, the Ravani Merchant, the Saharan Convert, the Surface Dwarf, the Talvashoth, and the Tevinter Soparati. Are all, are all backgrounds that allow uh, the warrior class and give you a potential boost at willpower. Not a bad choice. Not it's a bad choice. It's a lot of actually very diverse choices. Yeah, a lot of places that they can come from. Yeah. All right, this spec is also one that begs to have a quest surrounding it. Mm -hmm. uh, becoming a spirit warrior is a somewhat mysterious and varied process, and there may be more than one method of gaining the power of a spirit warrior, uh, and some may be more dangerous, like finding a sword that talks. And, you know, you and all your friends getting pulled into the Fade. Yep. Hey, we got her back. Eventually we, got her we did. Back out of the Fade, like... She punched her way out. A year later. She did actually literally punch her way out of the Fade. It's pretty great. 
That was pretty cool. It was. <laughs> uh, at the very least, the applicant may have to collect rare materials for a ritual to awaken someone to the presence of spirits or to call a spirit to them. Uh, and, of course, Always be sure be to talk sure. to your GM. Talk to your GM. Mm-hmm. We need that sound bite. About why... record it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk to your GM. About why but, you pay uh, for this specialization so they can help you weave into the plot of the game. Precisely. Yes. Get ready for it early. Uh, there was a tome in Dragon Age Origins Awakening that could give that I could unlock it for you. Uh, but the spec, I think the spec deserves a bit more fanfare than just finding a book. Unless the book was a reward for a major arc in the campaign. Mm-hmm. And of course, if that works for your campaign, you should go for it. Uh, but it should probably not be for sale. Mm-hmm. Unless you, I mean, I guess you find it on the black market, but probably be super expensive. Right. Heckin' contraband. Yeah, that this oh, yeah. feels more like a quest ending kind of item. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is the case with Justice and Awakening, he can teach the warriors of the party this spec, and finding a similar teacher can be an exciting adventure in itself. That is Certainly true. an exciting adventure meeting Justice for the first time. Yeah, I mean, that could be, you'd have to be in a very specific part of the timeline for that to happen. Oh, right. So, so, but finding someone would not be a bad choice. Yes, no. definitely. Like Alora. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, if you have Brasilia in your, uh, in yeah. your campaign... There's a spirit mm-hmm. warrior. She runs the military. Yeah, it's true. I do my best. There's probably a whole bunch of spirit warriors running around. I'm sure the Templars just love I this. Am the, I'm still sure the only reason we haven't had a march declared on us is because the Divine kind of got senile and then Anders blew up a chantry. Yeah, then yeah. they kind of got busy. Yeah, we were not priority one. Plus, um, a war gives the Templars the stink eye once in a while, so and they're kind of scared of her. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's, that's fair. We're level 20. We're pretty scary. Alright. So, what does this spec do? Let's talk about the fun stuff that you get to do when you become a spirit warrior. Uh, the novice degree. You get your spirit warrior mode, which lets you activate it as an activate action. Uh, while in this mode, you have a plus one bonus to defense and a plus one bonus on magic tests to resist spells and magical effects. And that magic bonus can be very helpful when combating entropy-focused mages. So true. Demons have happened to cast a lot of those, especially uh, desire demons. Oh, desire demons. Uh, These bonuses may seem small, but of course they stack with other bonuses like shields, single or dual weapon style bonuses to defense, defensive stance, stunts, etc. Uh, And if you happen to be an Orzammar born dwarf, that bonus on magic tests can't hurt. It It only makes it more resistant to magic effects. Nice. Nice. Uh, the journeyman degree. With this degree, you while you are in spirit mode, your melee and ranged attacks become magical and yeah. deal extra damage equal to your willpower to demons and denizens of the Fade. It's fun. This is one of the few ways to get two ability scores added to damage rolls. It is a little specific, but it is worth noting. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, this only reinforces your ability to hunt demons, and it makes you very effective at it. It and, is. Uh, yeah, you you made good use of this. I did. Uh, just for reference, subject to DM discretion, of course, demons can also include things like skeletons, arcane horrors, revenants, shades, ash wraiths, abominations, potentially other spirit warriors. I would argue in spirit mode. Yes, yes. as long as they're in their spirit mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirit healers, as Again. long as they're in summoning mode. Uh, fade-touched creatures, and, uh, you know, maybe... Jerks. Jerks. Maybe Jerks. maybe some 
campaign <laughs> boss kind of jerks that yep. maybe we managed to kick the butt of. Yep. You know. Maybe some of those. Self-proclaiming gods who are also demons. Yeah. It was fun. Indeed. We broke his house. You broke his, You definitely broke his house after you broke him. All right. And Actually, then, no, he broke his house. That's true. Uh, he we broke just his fled house. his house. <laughs> Um, and then the master degree is the big one. You learn the fade burst stunt. Woo! That's this, fancy looking. Uh, this stunt lets you deal 1d6 penetrating damage to all foes within four yards of you. Get wrecked. No tests to resist. They just do it. Uh, and if you're attacking demons or potentially foes who are targetable by your journeyman boost to damage, they take 1d6, pl- 1D6 plus willpower penetrating damage instead. It's nasty. Nice. It's pretty sick nasty. It's a crazy stunt, especially when you are surrounded. Mm-hmm. The damage isn't that big, but making it penetrating means that most folks are going to take that damage. Uh, and because it's a stunt, it means you're already doing other things. Probably right. like swinging a weapon in someone's face. Mm-hmm. That is objectively better than Wrath of the Elven. In a lot of ways. You think so? Well, I don't know. Wrath of the Elven, I guess, hits two... two. No, it only hits everybody within... Oh, how many? How many? I yards? can't remember. It's either two or four, but it without the special item that you gave me, it does virtually no damage, and there's a test to resist it. So, mm-hmm. and it costs mana. Yeah, this so. one does require stunt points, and it oh, that is true. It does so require you to you get can't lucky. just do it whenever. Yeah, yeah. Um, four stunt points may seem like a steep price, but at higher levels, when your stunt point generation has a wider range, you can combine some pretty nasty combos involving mm-hmm. lightning attacks, dual strikes, defensive stances, or lethal blows. Oh, yeah. I think you mean... Lethal Lethal blow! Lethal blow! So, how do other specs complement this one? Uh, Let's go down the list and talk about it. Uh, Berserker. By activating both of your modes, Berserk Mode gives a penalty to defense that Spirit Warrior cancels out with a bonus, leaving you where you were. Uh, The damage bonuses from both specs can stack very high when you're fighting demons and other fade creatures. Uh, and that discount on Lethal Blow makes it only more possible to stack it with a Fade Burst at later levels, eventually hitting your target with three, plus 3d6, three 1d6 of its penetrating, and maybe adding willpower to the damage. Now, see, I think if you're looking for an offensive combo, the, That's a those good one. two, it, that is a hard one to beat for an That's offensive true. combo for uh, Warrior Spec. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because that's a lot of damage that you're managing to do right there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's against a specific foe, but... That foe's not going to last long. Nope. Yeah. Goodbye, that guy. Uh, next is Champion. Uh, your two modes do support each other a bit. Rally mode gives a bonus to willpower, morale, and defense at first, and then gives a bonus to damage and willpower courage tests. The damage and defense bonuses, of course, stack with each other, while the willpower bonuses can help you against some spells that spirit mode doesn't cover, which there aren't that many of, but some of them are very important, like Misdirection Hex, like not allowing you to generate stun points and which would suck death hex making you die really fast that also sucks and horror which means you just cower in fear and don't fight not great so i mean champion's gonna help you out with that and uh, all those other entropy spells that are being cast you've got a plus bonus on your magic tests to resist them mm-hmm. so fun stuff not like dirt and they do the the bonuses from rally mode and spirit warrior mode both kind of push each other up so i could also see some excellent flavor with those two oh definitely like uh that i could definitely see some really cool character concepts coming out of that Mm -hmm. maybe some kind of avar warband leader that's going it's fighting the evil gods Mm, that could work 
And then Chevalier. <laughs> Chevalier is a weird one, uh, because it is a spec that focuses on mounted combat. If the campaign gives you the chance to fight demonic foes while mounted, this can be a powerful combination, because it gives you access to the lances group, mm -hmm. you deal a whole bunch of damage if you charge somebody <laughs> with a lance, uh, and even if you don't, you get a small bonus to damage, and it increases your defense if you perform uh, run actions with your mount, which you can add Master Degree to as a minor action instead I of a major. I just really hope that if for some reason your mind gets flung into the fade, that your horses does too. Yep, that's the thing. Because if it doesn't... If you're going into the fade, you gotta try and bring your horse. Or dream a new one. Think really hard about horses. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe find some weird, like, I don't know, like a Dracolisk in the fade or something. A oh. giant nug. Yes. Absolutely. Be all that you can be. Makes a statement, and that statement is hands. <laughs> so, uh, Chevalier's bonuses to damage and defense can stack with the Spirit Warrior, but they rely on you being mounted on something, so it's going to be very situational. Make sure that you know what kind of campaign you're getting into. With I that mean, one. worst case scenario, get one of your allies and start playing chicken with the entire Fade Realm. Like, I mean... You're mounted... You're fast. <laughs> it's chicken. <laughs> um, Maybe some acrobatics tests to not also, fall off. Also, many chevaliers are usually deeply religious. That said, could make boy, this I would make this character just on the off chance that I could make a chevalier have to play chicken. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, fun stuff. All that right, aggro the zone. That would please me deeply. So, and of course, we have guardian. Yay! Uh, Defensive mastery! Woohoo! Mm -hmm. My uh, other Guardian, specialization. Yes. Uh, we'll have to call you back for the Guardian specialization when we finally talk about it. Yay! Didn't get a lot of votes this time. Not sure why. It's well, a good nobody one. votes for my stuff either because it's all like, it's you true. know, restorative nonsense. Mm hmm. But well, yeah. Uh, so, the Guardian focuses on defense and defending others. While these yeah. two specs don't directly complement each other, they also don't get in each other's way. Uh, a Guardian who is a spirit warrior is a grand bulwark against demonic foes, and they are quite adept at warding off harmful fade denizens from their charges. Uh, the bonus attack from the Master Degree of Guardian can only hit harder if the target is susceptible to your spirit warrior damage boost. Yeah, as, oh, someone, yeah. as someone who worked both, who was someone who was both a guardian and a spirit warrior, I could say these classes definitely work together for my particular playing style, since I was the main tank, and I tried my best to soak up a lot of the damage directed at everybody else, and then I tried to equal the damage dealt with my magical sword, and then... It worked out very well. And then a lot of times it helped the enemies kept trying to cast spells or effects that would have made me fall down or become prone, which in guardian mode is impossible. So mm. they Yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening at all. So that makes mm -hmm. your defensible uh, position a lot easier to do, especially if you have squishier characters like the mage or the rogue who... <laughs> or both. Or both. Yeah, this true. I think is, is a really surprisingly solid combination because... They don't get in each other's way, and they're not. They don't directly synergize, mm -hmm. but they synergize in so much as they both solidly boost the things that they need to boost, mm -hmm. and you just end up being good at 
both attack and defense. Like it's worked. Yeah. It worked very you well. You just for us. end up having very few weaknesses, and bad guys will try to pound on you until the cows come home, and you will still be there. Yep. True story. Um, next is the Reaver spec. This combo can get deadly if you are fighting a group, especially if that group is a group of angry demons. Uh, Reaver is a damage-dealing spec, and its abilities work on everybody. Warrior, a Spirit Warrior adds bonuses to damage against demons and grants some protection against their attacks. Interestingly enough, many undead creatures uh, have pretty high constitutions, uh, meaning that your Reaver Novice Degree powers will give you more health back for damaging them. And I, I looked at the books. Uh, devouring Corpses, Enraged Corpses, Dwarven Apparitions have constitutions of four. Uh, Revenants and Fang Skeletons have three. Even Abominations and Skeletons have a two. Uh, most of the demons, like the full-fledged demons in the Coral Book, actually have lower average constitution ratings, but more powerful versions likely have higher ones that you can exploit. Uh, mm -hmm. And, of course, your Fade Burst stunt combined with the Journeyman power of the Reaver spec means that you can be creating bursts of penetrating damage every round in exchange for losing a bit of health. The bursts do require you to be in the thick of things, but you probably already were. This, I feel like, is... As close to AoE mastery as the warrior gets. It's true. Mm -hmm. This particular combination, it's like, do you hate everything around you? <laughs> do you just want it all to die? <laughs> this is how you make that happen. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're demons. Man, are they in trouble. Oh, get wrecked, demons. Um, last uh, is the Templar specialization. And <laughs> these two work surprisingly well together despite their philosophical differences. Yeah, good luck having a... <laughs> Good luck finding one. You will be either be a really cool character or a really, really Gary Stu, Mary Sue kind of character. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. You, you, but, this could be great, though. Yes, it could be. Uh, a spirit warrior Templar is very adept at taking out abound abominations and full-fledged demons. The novice Templar power combined with the spirit mode makes you hard to touch when foes cast spells at you, as, of course, they stack. If the demons abominations you are fighting have mana pools, your attacks deal more damage and drain them of mana when both of your specs are at the journeyman degree. And being able to cancel out magic effects can be useful when facing powerful demons and abominations with spellcasting abilities or apostates who happen to be spirit healers. You know, you never know. Hey. Or who just happen to have, like, spirits possessing you them at the moment. You could also leave spirit healers alone. Yeah, just throwing it out there. Yeah. Now, don't, now, I'll throw you out of my country. GMs aren't, players aren't the only ones who are going to be listening to this podcast. That is true. true. Uh, considering that your powers are somewhat magical in nature, your GM may need to talk to you about whether canceling magical effects in the area would cancel your spirit mode. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, the ability says that it cancels spells, but this might be adjusted by GMs for their games, so talk to your GM, as usual. Uh, both of these specs require you to have a magic of three, meaning that you're going to be good at resisting many entropy spells. And that's also synergistic in that mm -hmm. you won't need to make as many secondary stats as yep. high as you would otherwise. Uh, the other spec, the, uh, the ability you need up is strength, which you're probably going to do anyway. I feel if like if you're melee. specifically dealing with like desire demons, this would be their worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. It would be. It definitely would well, cause be. Well, because you know, you'd be able to deal specifically damage to demons. <laughs> Right. You'd be specifically dam damaging spellcasters, and you have specifically a high willpower in the first place mm -hmm. because you needed one to get into Spirit Warrior. It's true. Uh, like, abominations would also have a very nasty time with you. Yeah. That's like the ultimate in Mage Hunter. Oh, yeah. You'd think that, you know, they'd be more all for it, but nope. You're an abomination. You gotta die. No good. 
So, we'll start closing this episode down with a couple of closing remarks. Uh, Spirit Warrior can be a great specialization if you want to er, explore more of the magical side of things, or just want to add some oomph to your warrior class. Uh, this spec is great for story fodder. Uh, finding someone who can teach the specialization is tricky, and getting them to teach it to you could be an adventure arc by itself. Uh, this also has the warriors following suit with mages when they have to police their powers in public. It comes with the difficulties of having magic and could end up creating a unique party cohesion with other magical members of the group. Yeah. True. Uh, yes. Uh, this spec is likely common during the time of the original Inquisition when demons were rampant, and a modern Inquisition campaign would also be a good place to play this kind of spec. Demon hunters are well suited to this spec, and the spec itself does not favor ranged or melee combat, meaning you have the freedom to choose. Uh, Fade Burst power is fairly short range, it's four yards, so being a melee combatant may be more advantageous, but there's nothing saying that you have to. Right. Yep, you can pretty much do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Alright, well, so we're going to have a little uh, bit of post-show. Well, at the very least, for everyone's sake, I'm not going to make the spirit pun again. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thinking, though. I, I know you will. You'll think <laughs> it very hard. Right now. You're thinking it really hard right now. I see it in your eyes. It's great. Um, I don't know if I've got time for a post-show tonight okay. because I got to work tomorrow. And it I'm is kind of late. I'm not super excited about it, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Gotta get that money. Yep. <laughs> All that money that comes from working at a school. <sighs> oh, man. All right. Um, I should probably be going to bed, too, honestly. It's already pretty late. Yeah. It's, it's already getting to my It's not late. <laughs> we have to be up at early o'clock. I have to be up at 5. I have to be up at like 6.45. Yeah, sorry. We got started a little late because we were waiting for the pizza man. Yep. It took him a while. At least he didn't put real cheese on my pizza. He did. That's good. Vegan cheese on my pizza. Mm -hmm. That was good. That was pretty solid. Thank you, pizza man. So, thank you everybody for listening to the Wonders of Vegas podcast. Uh, and as a quick note before we go, because I meant to mention this at the top of the show, but we'll put it here, because I forgot. I'll probably put it on the blog post, too. But we are making drafts for a Patreon page. Oh, yeah. Uh, we don't really have a lot of rewards scheduled just yet, and because we do full-time jobs and uh, we run a couple of campaigns already... And, and we're we do... venture agents for local Pathfinder Society as well. Correct. We don't have a lot of time to devote to the podcast on a daily basis, so we're probably just going to set it up for folks who would like to give us uh, to, to help us support us and help us pay for like uh, help keeping keep things the lights posted. On. Help keep the lights on, exactly. Uh, pay for things like hosting and you know better equipment. Yeah. If and if it, you can't, that's totally yeah. understandable. And uh, if we do find that we're able to get a certain amount of support, then we will absolutely be coming up with some cool rewards and things. Mm -hmm. We got yes. some ideas down the line. We're gonna work on it, and uh, of course you'll be here. You'll be seeing it as soon as it comes out. Maybe those of you with deep pockets should be seeing some really really cool stuff in the future. But hopefully yeah. everyone will be seeing cool stuff in the future, regardless. Just regardless. Yes. We would love to do some really fancy things for people who have the time and the ability to help support what we do here because we love doing it mm -hmm. and we want to thank everyone who can and is willing to help us. Yeah, if we got a lot of money, maybe we could make this a weekly show. That would be Ooh. awesome. Also, yeah. um, have I have I heard hints of possibly even like private online campaigns? Maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe some folks can get their own campaign. That would be pretty neat mm -hmm. I, I mean for those who don't know our 
big campaign just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. So mm. yes, and uh, here locally there are there we never have any shortage of players because Ren is an extraordinarily popular GM because of the immense as you can probably imagine the immense amount of talent and oh, thank uh, you. effort that goes into all of their games. So it's, it's true. Very kind. I appreciate it. And I'm always hankering for more games. Even though <laughs> we'll have to get you in on that next one. Yeah. And I'll, uh, yeah, we'll we'll be keeping you in touch about potential Dragon Age stuff later on, especially when I hit the hit up these level twenty characters again and yeah. have some high level adventure. Oh, also, yeah. uh, you know, at least for a one off, so all of you out there in podcast land can hear how uh, high level play goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Nuts! It's pretty crazy. So it many stun points. Stun points everywhere. It's pretty crazy. Anyway. But until then, I suppose we should say farewell. Mm-hmm. This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. This is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. This is Caitlin saying, when in doubt, hit it with a sword. Thank you so Alrighty. much for listening to the One of the Thetis podcast. We'll catch you next time. Have a good one, everybody. 